If you want to make your way back to your seat and take out your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back in this little middle section. It says, these are for you. We'd love to give you one of those Bibles. Take that. You can turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I've tried in, the, in my weekly emails to send out uh, a little bit of a preview of what we're preaching. I've heard from some of you some good feedbacks, like, hey, I'd love to know in advance so we can read it and just kind of know what's coming. And so we're going to be the next three weeks, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, covering a chapter each week. And then in the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. So we're going to go Old Testament. I'm really excited to look at that story uh, together. This morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, as our practice has been, I'm going to start and just read it. And it's, it's 30 verses, so hang in there. Um, but this is God's word, and it is a good gift to us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. <clears throat> there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body. So also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe with the greatest honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, if you're the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, 
second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. God, this is your word, and we're thankful for it this morning. Please speak to our hearts and show us, Christ, how you want to do this work in us and then through us as your body on earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians 12 begins a three-chapter uh, kind of section of this letter to the church in Corinth about how the church lives together as the body of Christ. So we're gonna look at these chapters in order the next couple of weeks. And this first chapter is all about how the one spirit makes one body out of many believers. The one spirit makes one body out of many believers. We just finished a series on the Apostles' Creed looking at what do we believe. Now we're in a series on the body of Christ. How do we live together? Okay, we believe these things. We confess these things about God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now God puts us together as a church. What do we do together? What does it mean that we're the church? How do we live? What's my part in this? Do I just show up and listen and give a thumbs up and leave? Maybe I feel guilty and I ought to jump in a kid's class every once in a while because there seem to be a lot of kids going on. Maybe I get to the point where I want to give a little bit of my money because I hear there's some good things going on. What does it mean that I'm a part of a church? Do I have some responsibility here? Do you have a responsibility to me? Do I have one to you? And in this chapter, Paul begins to break all of this down. And he's speaking specifically to a context in ancient Corinth. Now, the first thing we see, we're going to break this chapter down uh, kind of sequentially. The first three verses, I think, all go together. And what we see from these first three verses is the one spirit of power. The one spirit of power. If you read the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, it becomes obvious that this church has a problem with hierarchies. They constantly want to outdo each other. They constantly want to compare who baptized me, who baptized you. Well, I think Paul's better than Apollos, and so I might be a better disciple than you. They brag about who baptized them. The, the wealthy, just a chapter before in chapter 11, the wealthy appear to be coming to the gathering early and having a massive feast around the Lord's Supper while the poor members would come later and be left out. There's division all throughout this church, and these divisions are constantly trying to elevate certain groups above others. They're actually bringing the world's social classes into the church. So here in chapter 12, Paul begins to teach them about what your version might say, spiritual gifts. Now, that's actually a, a, a bit misleading. I'm, I'm not one, I'm not fluent in biblical Greek, but there are times that you read enough people say, that's not a good word that I feel like I need to warn you. This is actually not the word for gift. This is just the word for like things, spiritual things. So he says, concerning spiritual things, concerning things of the spirit. He's not even being as specific to talk about gifts yet. He's just talking about the Holy Spirit's work. Concerning spiritual things, they need some instruction. Why do they need this instruction? Well, he says here in the first couple verses, you used to be pagans. You know that when you were pagans, when you were ethnos, when you were the nations, Gentiles, not God's people, when they were pagans, when they were not God's people, and they didn't know Christ, they followed the idols of their day. Now, the idols of their day would be worshipped in all of these different settings, all of these different temples, 
But Paul's reminding them, that's the pagan way. And in all these different temples with all these different idols, depending on what you needed, you might go to a certain idol and try to get blessing in that area of your life. And it would be seen that if you could offer more things to that idol, maybe you'd get greater blessing. And if you could have a certain lineup of idols that maybe you were wealthier and you could get blessing from certain uh, numbers of idols, you might be better off than someone who was poorer and couldn't afford to get the blessing from these different idols in their temples in ancient Corinth. So certain idols and certain offerings to those idols in their minds would get them ahead, would, would advance them in spiritual things. But Paul is warning them that things are different in Christ. Verse three gives us kind of the main idea right here. And, and follow Paul's logic. Let me read verse three again. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This verse is not about figuring out what spirits were real or fake, good or bad. This verse is about figuring out who has the spirit at all. What Paul is trying to say in verse 3 is the field has been leveled. All who confess Christ have the spirit Paul is saying there is one spirit. There's not multiple idols. There's not multiple temples. There's not multiple offerings you're required to make. There is one spirit. And if you are confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, you have that one spirit. So what this means is, for them and for us, we need to wrestle with distorted views of spiritual power. There's not a Holy Spirit hierarchy in the church. We don't need better spiritual strategies in order to have more spiritual power. I think that's important for us to wrestle with. Paul is saying, we were talking about this during worship practice this morning. Paul's saying, you have the spirit. It's not that some of you have more spirit and less spirit. It's not that some of you are better, uh, more advanced, and some of you are less. And so, you know, some of you have a big role to play in the church and some of you are really useless here. Paul saying, you have the Spirit. I think for us as followers of Jesus or people exploring the church, you might be bringing in the world's social classes and hierarchies into this community and thinking, gosh, there's some religious pros. There's some who struggle. Gosh, I, I need to get better. If I, if I read my Bible more, if I prayed more, if I showed up more, if I served more, maybe God would get, begin to bless me more and I might have more spiritual power in life. Maybe I might have a more important part to play in this church. But what's important here in 1 Corinthians 12 is that there's no strategy we can employ to get an advantage with being filled with the Spirit. Paul is trying to level the playing field here. There is one Spirit, and if you confess Christ as Lord, you have that Spirit. Everything we're experiencing in the world right now tells us that we can get ahead, work harder, get more education, pursue positions of leadership or in power and get ahead on whatever ladder it is that we're climbing. But Paul wants to talk about the body of Christ first by saying, we're all equally filled with the Spirit. Now, there certainly seems to be times that you experience a special outpouring of the Spirit, right? 
There's times in your life that you have spiritual breakthrough. God does an incredible work in your life. You hear an incredible word from the Lord that seems so timely for where you're at or what you're struggling with. Maybe God provides and you're singing Waymaker, thinking, yes, that is exactly where I've been at certain times in my life. And there seems to be other times that it seems like the river has dried up and you think, I know I have the spirit, but it sure doesn't feel like it right now. I think spiritual experience is one thing. But I think being filled with the Spirit to belong and participate in the body of Christ is another. You have the Spirit to participate in the life of the church if you know Christ. That is what Paul is laying out here. He's not talking about an individual's walk with the Lord and the way that you're pursuing the Spirit in your personal life in the way that there seems to be dry spells and rich, deep seasons with the Lord, he's talking about our communal life together. There is only one spirit who empowers the people of God. And remember who he's writing to, people who struggled with hierarchies, with elevating themselves and pushing down others. So it would make sense that he's trying to say, stop that. You need to humble yourselves and you need to think a little higher of yourselves because you are equally filled with the spirit to participate in the church's life together. There is one spirit. Now the next section, uh, I broke it up from verses four to 19, and it talks about the diversity of the body. It talks about the diversity of the body. Uh, Paul talks in this section about the same spirit producing different gifts, different ministries, and different activities. And I think it's fascinating that we have latched on to one of those words, and we talk about spiritual gifts, but Paul seems to be saying all throughout this passage and in other passages that there's not just like one template of spiritual gifts. Remember the first verse, spiritual things, the work of the Spirit, the activity of the Spirit. The word for ministries here is the same word where we get our word deacon, serving. There, there's Different gifts, there's different ministries, there's different ways to serve, there's different, and then he just gets vague, just different activities that you're doing with and for and among each other. The list of spiritual gifts here is interesting. This is not exhaustive. One of the ways we know it's not exhaustive is because he gives another list at the end of this chapter and the lists are not identical. There's nothing to be read into from start to finish necessarily about most important to least important. That would seem to undermine everything else he's saying in this passage. Some of these gifts might seem more natural. Some might seem more supernatural. Some of these gifts that he talks about uh, are more seen and done in front of people. Some of these gifts are more unseen. Think about the gift of faith. Think about how important that is to have someone in the body who is so bold that they believe God's word. And they don't let other people in the body waver on that. Some of these gifts are natural, supernatural, seen and unseen. Some of these gifts are more focused on words. Some of these gifts are more focused on works. But the source of all of these differences, all of these different gifts, all these different activities are the, is the spirit of God. But here's, here's what's important. Remember, this section's about diversity, the diversity in the body. Unity in the spirit does not mean uniformity in the spirit. There are many parts of the one body and all those parts must be different. 
I was listening to Alistair Begg talk about this passage, and he described the difference between us and God in this way, like this. When we want to take water and freeze it, we make ice cubes. Ice cubes on ice cubes on ice cubes, thousands looking identical. When God wants to take water and freeze it, he makes snowflakes, each of which are unique. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of the way we struggle with diversity, but God in his sovereign, infinite power can unite one body and each member be unique. So here's what this means for us. Because of the diversity of the body, you are both needy and you are needed in the body of Christ. We're needy. Each one of us are needy in this body of Christ. Because not a single one of us has every spiritual gift. No matter what you make of this list and the list to come and the list in Romans 12 and in other places, you don't have even close to a majority of the things Paul lists there. Which means you're in need of most of the things he writes about. No one person has all the gifts. And we actually need others because we don't have all those gifts, God in his perfect wisdom has made us dependent on one another. If you want to experience some of these things in your life, you are going to need other people. If you want to have a full spiritual experience, it will require you to open up your life and welcome other people in and to receive their gifts, to receive other people serving you, to receive other people speaking the word into your life to receive encouragement. If you come from, like me, okay, next week we're voting as a church to leave the Southern Baptist Convention, but my whole life I've been in the Southern Baptist Convention. So someone coming up to me saying, hey, can I pray for your healing? Absolutely not. I'll go to the doctor, thank you very much. I don't know how to receive that. That's not something we did in my church, but Paul seems to say here, the gift of healing. There seems to be certain people that when they beg God on behalf of other sick, hurting, broken people physically, God seems to hear them. Not because they have God's ear in some way that they've earned, not because they seem to know some magical wording, but because it's some kind of spiritual gift. There's some spiritual gift of healing. But there's, I, I gotta be honest with you, my, my spiritual history had, I've been 17 and been approached by someone and said, hey, I think, I see that you're sick and you're struggling. Can I pray that God would actually heal you of that? I, I didn't participate in prayers like that growing up in a church. Or tongues or interpreting tongues. I didn't know what to do with that. That'll be a conversation for a few weeks from now. We will walk through 1 Corinthians 14 and talk about both prophecy and tongues. You will get all the answers you're looking for, I promise. <laughs> and if you don't, then... You must not be able to interpret the sermon. It's a bit of a joke. We're needy in the body. And I think that's hard for us, especially in our culture, to recognize that we are not self-sufficient spiritually. Like we don't have everything we need to make our spiritual lives happen. God has rigged this whole thing that we have to be dependent on others. And then here's where it flips. We're not just needy, we're needed. Have you ever considered how God has empowered you with the Holy Spirit for the, what he says in this passage, the common good of the church? What gifts, or if that word is too constraining for you, what ministries 
Or maybe that word is too constraining. What activities has God empowered you to do for the good of others? Maybe you've heard of or you've tried to take spiritual gifts tests. You answer a questionnaire and it spits out, uh, you have the gift of administration. You're like, okay, what do I administrate now? What does that mean? Maybe you've taken spiritual gifts tests and you've gotten a different answer every time. Maybe you took one as a teenager and then you took one in your 20s and then one in your 30s and it's changed every time. You think, have I gotten three different spirits? What's happening? What, what does this mean? How do I interpret spiritual gifts tests? The problem with the spiritual gifts test is that we can only actually discover our gift in the context of community. It isn't something we go off and discover and then we show up in community and we say, this is my gift, you better like it. It's not something we go off in private and discover, it's something we discover in community as we're living with other people. So Frederick Buechner has a, a little saying uh, that's very popular. Your calling is where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. I think he's onto something. And I think that quote could apply to the way we discover our spiritual gifts. It's where your deep gladness, the way God has made and wired you uniquely, the thing that makes you tick, the thing you get excited about, the thing that burdens your heart, the thing that when you walk in the doors on Sunday, you find yourself thinking about and dreaming about, the thing in the church that you always seem to drift towards, it, it's your deep gladness where it meets our community's deep need. So I wonder what that is for you, because we need you. If you know Christ, we need you. And we wanna help you discover that. I don't believe there's a very clear New Testament given system for you to discover that gift ministry activity. I believe it's the messy process of trial and error. And it's gonna take us yielding to the Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, you're gonna have to show me where to do this. You're gonna have to show me where to plug in. Because there is a diversity and we can't narrow down all the spiritual gifts to kids ministry and hospitality team and worship team. Those are activities and I hope we're doing them in the spirit. And I would say everybody that serves on those teams, this is not the full extent of their spiritual gifting for the church. You are more than the team you volunteer on. There's a diversity in the body and it means we're all needy and we're all needed. But verses 20 to 30 also show us this. There's a unity in the body. And in our unity, we don't get to decide if certain gifts are less important. We don't get to decide if certain gifts are unnecessary. Right? We don't get to decide if certain gifts are useful or not. But we're actually invited by God to recognize and acknowledge the way he has put the body together. That's part of the reason I'm so hesitant to just say, here's my vision for a church. Because part of the role that I have is not to cast a vision, but it's actually to be the chief noticer of what is God doing. Three times in this passage, verse 11, 18, and 23, Paul says God puts the body together just like he wants. 
So it's not for us, for me, for the elders, for our ministry team to say, this is the vision. This is what you all need to figure out how to conform and do, and this is how we're gonna grow our church and be healthy. Actually, we have to look at all of you and say, what has God sent our church? What kind of gifts are here? What kind of strengths are here? Because God's put this body together just as he wants, and it's not for me to make it conform to my vision or anyone else's vision. But it's actually for us to recognize the way God is putting the body together. And then in verses 12 to 27, the word body occurs 19 times. 19 times he uses this image of body to describe what the church is supposed to be like. And it's a great image because there are many parts. No two parts are the same. You say, well, we have two thumbs. Look at your thumbs. They're not the same. One's left and one's right. You have two feet, but they're not the same. You have two hands, but they're not the same. Two legs, two arms, two ears. No two parts of the body are exactly the same, yet they all make up one body. And that's what verse 20 sums up to say. There are many parts, but one body. And what unifies us is that we're all put into the body to serve the greater good of that one body. Verse seven, he says, he calls it the common good. And then later on in verse 25, he says we should have the same concern for each other. We're called to be so unified that we rejoice with one another and we suffer with one another. The only thing that can unite us in that way is Jesus. As if we're each filled with the spirit of Jesus. If we each have the same concern and love for one another that Jesus has. That's what Jesus prays in John 17. Father, I pray that they might be one even as you and I are one. That the very unity of God would also be our unity. So here's what that means for us. The unity of the body means you, you, dear believer, are not expendable. You're not useless in this body. You're not unnecessary You're not redundant. You're not at risk of being laid off. Some of you need to have a higher view of yourself in the body of Christ because you belong and are needed here. You are filled with the same spirit as every other believer and you are just as gifted as every other believer to play a unique role that no one else can play. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You're not expendable or useless, or redundant, because you are filled with the same spirit. And others of us need to hear this. You, dear believer, are no better than any other part of the body. Because you are filled with the same spirit as the others that you're looking down on. No spiritual gift is more important. And so two categories need to hear that. One need to be lifted up, just like the church in Corinth. Hey, I know when we walk out of this building, Paul could have said to the church in Corinth, I know when we walk out, you're wealthy. And I actually know this group of brothers and sisters, I know that they actually work for you. And so when you walk out of there, I know there's like a boss-employee relationship. I get that. But you gotta find a way to leave that at the door when you walk in this room. Hey, I know, church at Shalford, that when you go out here, The cars we get in are gonna look different. The houses we drive to are gonna look different. The net number on our paychecks are gonna look different. 
the number of kids we have looks different. Our grocery bills look different. Our debt looks different. Our family situations look different. Our struggles look different. Our sins look different. But when we walk in here and we see each other every Sunday, it is to be a physical reminder that we belong to one body because we are filled with the same spirit. To bring all of this chapter together, and there are so many places we could have slowed down And as I was looking at sermons on this chapter to try to listen to this week. Many people would break this down into three or four sermons. There's so much more we could say about what Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians 12. But as we walk away from this, I I want us to remember that all who confess Jesus are filled with the same spirit and that we come to this body both needy and needed. Let's pray together.